Aloha. Welcome to the very first episode of the Quantum Business Book Club. And before I jump in, I just want to talk a little bit about the name. Why the Quantum Business Book Club? I chose that because I, firstly, I love reading books. I've been wanting to do this for years. And initially, it was going to be meetups that happen in real time with real people in real places. And I shouldn't even use the word real because that is that is ultimately what is playing into the title of this episode and this series. I wasn't able to do that for obvious reasons. If you're listening to this or whenever you're listening to this, it is currently 2022 for me. And if this idea has been on the burner for two years, you know exactly what happened. It just wouldn't go away. And that's one of the things that I believe should turn an idea into a reality when it doesn't go away, when it keeps you up at night, when it's something that not only you keep toying with, but then you start to see signs and signals of this thing coming into reality. And you're like, okay, okay, (laughs) I see what you're doing, universe. You're giving me the green light go. In fact, you're blaring, screaming green light go at me. And that actually, that little example right there is kind of what this whole quantum concept is about. I'm sure you've heard it thrown around a lot. It is definitely a buzz term. And yes, I am definitely harnessing that energy. Quantum physics is obviously an incredibly complex topic. A really fantastic book I might even cover in this series is Holographic Universe by Michael Talbot, potentially Talbo. <laughs> There's a few different books by that title, so definitely check it out. In that book, he goes through all of the different scientific studies that back this up. I am not a scientist, nor am I a quantum physicist. But what I love about reading is it is time travel. We are able to experience and synergize ideas created on a completely different timeline. And in that moment, we are able (laughs) to access the context, the culture, the purpose, the motivations. And then we are in the same moment layering our own bias, our own perspective, our own hopes and dreams and realities on top and actually creating something totally new. The book Think and Grow Rich talks about that in terms of imagination and how important that technique is. Now, if you do the most basic of Google searches on quantum physics, You'll also be able to discover that this study is essentially the exploration of things that we cannot explain. And when you get to a micro level, the sort of smallest denominations of our reality, things stop making sense. And the crux of quantum physics or quantum mechanics is really that reality is what you choose it to be. And the idea that a photon is both a particle and a wave, depending on how you choose to measure it. This has a lot to do with how quickly things can travel, where things can be in the current moment. And I chose Quantum Business Book Club because these books that I'm going to be discussing are the foundations for so much of our business knowledge our marketing, our sales, the way we talk, the way we influence, the way we relate. And some of these books, and especially the ones I'm going to be tackling initially, are quite literally the foundations. Like every single coach, teacher, college education, 
guru, every single person who's selling ideas on the internet right now, they're basically biting off of these different manuscripts and tomes. Think and Grow Rich was written about 100 years ago. And the story behind it is pretty interesting. I am not going to go into all of the detail. I've actually created a very robust resource. Think of it almost like a cheat sheet that really pulls out the most important parts of this book. So you can find that. I will post a link, obviously, in the show notes. I might create kind of a splash page on the website, undetermined if I know how to do that on my WordPress site. It would have been easy on Squarespace. But you'll be able to get this resource. Definitely check out the show notes. And it'll take you through, again, all of the major talking points and also all of the analysis. So there's a whole bunch of questions, a whole bunch of prompts and different ways of kind of dissecting Napoleon Hill's take on success and how to create abundance and how to create riches. Something else I need to say about not just this book, but a lot of the books I'm going to discuss, because again, I am pulling from much older points of knowledge. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm going to kind of move through. Not everything will be 100 years old. <laughs> but unfortunately, a lot of these books are written from a white colonialist perspective. A lot of the languaging is what we would consider to be sexist and or offensive and potentially even marginalizing. So where possible, I have tried to, to minimize that. I also would like to just suggest that it's not about the perspective or what we might want to interpret in terms of this author's perspective. The time and context within any of these books and, and when they were written and why they were written is different than now. So once again, we are time traveling. And I ask that in this, no, these are not my thoughts, nor are they my opinions. I'm sharing these books because I consider them to be foundational knowledge. I also get a ton of pings and downloads and ideas and creative launch points, launch pads, launch launches. <laughs> When I read these old books, and, and again, the ones I'm going to be starting with, I probably read regularly. Only because when we are able to synergize ideas, that's when inspiration flows. And I kind of actually love that these books were written in such a different time, but yet these ideas are profound. And they absolutely apply to the now. And... I mean, I'm also really grateful that our languaging and our understanding has evolved so dramatically just in the last hundred years. It really is a positive sign for the future that we can change, not just the way that we talk about something, but the way we think about anything. And that kind of brings me back to the quantum business book club. These concepts are being shared to enable you to change your business your definition of success, your course of action in a moment. You can transform your experience. So with that, let's get into Think or and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. So once again, I'm not really going to get into like the nitty gritty detail of this book. I'm going to try and share some of the overarching concepts. Otherwise, I'd be talking four hours. This is actually going to be a two-part episode. What I found really interesting about this book, I mean, I'm probably going to say that a hundred times, so forgive me in advance, but I love how not only does the author Napoleon Hill give you a framework, which I find powerful because a lot of these concepts, especially when you get into 
the energy of business and, you know, even, dare I say, the spirituality of business, it can get a, a little esoteric. Like there isn't specifics to anchor into. It doesn't play itself out well into like strategizing and creating sort of tactical business plans. But Napoleon Hill, I mean, he is a white man and he spent, apparently, he spent 20 years writing this book. He was actually hired by Andrew Carnegie to apply the secret of success to this particular job and vocation. And once the author, Napoleon Hill, had sufficiently proved himself to Andrew Carnegie, Mr. Carnegie, as he's referred to in the book, he is then hired to spend 20 years researching and defending this secret of success. And the list of people who were interviewed and studied over 20 years is long, but again, it's all old dead white dudes. So, I mean, you'll recognize names like Theodore Roosevelt, Charles Schwab, Henry Ford, John D. Rockefeller, Thomas Edison, Alexander Graham Bell. I mean, honestly, the list goes on and on. The point, and I mean, take this story with a grain of salt. I mean, one of the things he kind of talks about is he's hired to do this job for like pennies on the hour, but he really, really respects Mr. Carnegie. He doesn't come from a particularly prosperous or ad advantaged background. This is a job. This book was also written right after the Great Depression. That was part of the motivation behind this book was that people who had felt as if they were secure or sufficiently quote-unquote rich suddenly found themselves impoverished. And this book was written to empower any single person reading it to create the abundance of wealth that they desire. And if you hear book pages lapping in the background, that's because they are, so deal with it. <laughs> so this book is written to instruct anyone and everyone to be able to create the riches they desire. And okay, so a second massive disclaimer, you can define rich however you want. It can be materially wealthy. It can be able to have so much that you can give back. I think in the resource that I've created, I mean, I kind of talk about it in terms of contentment, peace of mind, money and finances, power, fame, personality, and happiness. You get to define it for yourself, but this book proposes to give you the tools and the framework to create the desired wealth that you can imagine. Now, before I launch into that particular framework, why does this matter? <laughs> why are we talking about this? And Obviously, this is 20 years of knowledge distilled into a couple, it's more than a couple hundred pages. It's a pretty big read and it's a hefty read because it's kind of written in like ye olden language. But sometimes having a framework, sometimes having a tool book, giving people a very specific tool which to analyze their current situation is super helpful. What I have always loved about self-development and professional development is often we can get antsy right? Like we can very much be aware of the gap between our current experience and our desired experience. And that can be really frustrating. That can be really disappointing. That can be really defeatist. There can be all sorts of bullshit that comes up when we think about what we don't have. Now, lack mentality and scarcity mentality and all of the kind of buzzwords that are thrown around in the spiritual communities, which on the one hand, are very true, can again feel like amorphous. Like there's there's no, like what the fuck is scarcity mentality, right? Like 
we all feel sorry for ourselves. I've just spent two weeks sick feeling very sorry for myself, but also very aware of the, the situation and able to actually create a lot of action and success out of that with that awareness. And so that's what I find so powerful about these frameworks and especially like these super old school OG old white dude shit is like the fucking woo fairy at your local yoga center is like preaching the same stuff it's just in a different language and so if this doesn't resonate with you if this triggers you all over the place because it was written by old rich white men for future old rich white men like that is totally fair you definitely don't need to keep listening to this but if you can open your mind and that is actually why I'm going to start with some of the challenges and obstacles. So Napoleon Hill, the author, gives his 13 recipes for success. Steps to riches is actually what he calls them. But he also does a very deep dive into the obstacles of success. So including the six basic fears, the 10 major causes of the failure in leadership, the 30 causes of failure, and 57 questions to analyze your self-awareness. And that's just the quote-unquote negative shit. So why start there? Because that's not the majority of this book. Actually, I would say 70% of this book is absolutely detailing the 13 steps to riches. What is also really cool about this book is each step builds on itself. And I think that's why when you start to kind of look at the challenges or the potential obstacles or even the fears that might hold you back, they only really illuminate themselves to someone who is on this path, to someone who wants to really expand their experience and create very, very different results and create also like just a whole bunch of new wealth and abundance that they haven't ever experienced before. In order to be able to do that, you actually need to be like a few steps along this path. If you're listening to this podcast, you are. So the reason I'm starting with the bad stuff, which is quite literally like the last chapter in the book, is that firstly, I mean, I think it's very relatable. We can all very much relate to the challenges that we've experienced. And oftentimes it's some of the lessons, some of the takeaways from those crippling pains and doubts and challenges and obstacles and intractable challenges, which are like unsolvable problems in business. Unfortunately, it's those experiences that have like damaged us and kind of left us feeling a little bit broken and a little bit defeated and a little bit like I can't dot, dot, dot. In the impatience for success and the uncertainty of our current experience, it is very, very easy to get sucked into the fear of losing the fear of losing out or missing out on what we most desire. This is a lack of trust, right? And to quote Mr. Hill, which I actually won't do a lot of either, but I just wanted to start with this, this one concept. People who do not succeed have one distinguishing trait in common. They all know the reason for failure and have what they believe to be airtight alibis to explain away their own lack of achievement. Mind control is the result of self-discipline and habit. You either control your mind or it controls you. There is no halfway compromise. The most practical of all methods for controlling the mind is the habit of keeping it busy with a definite purpose backed by a definite plan. Now that's what we're going to get into in part two. And that is what the 13 Steps to Riches is all about. First, defining and creating this purpose. 
and then creating and executing the plan and ensuring that nothing gets in your way. What we're talking about in this episode, part one, is what might get in your way. Mr. Napoleon Hill talks about the six basic fears. And he thinks that these are the only obstacles to success. You will be familiar with all of them, although we all experience them in, in not just different amounts, but some of us might not have that experience at all. He has also listed them in what he perceives as to be the most challenging to overcome and the last one <laughs> being the most challenging to ignore. So the six basic fears are the fear of poverty, the fear of criticism, the fear of ill health, the fear of loss of love, the fear of old age, and the fear of death. Now, I'm only really going to get into the first two because I personally think they're the most relevant. The next become very personal, but all are obviously worth getting into. And there is a list of questions alongside these alibis that I sort of refer to in terms of the 57 reasons why we haven't created the success that we desire. You can find all of that in the resource. The fear of poverty, I think, and Mr. Hill would agree that it is the most destructive of fears. He kind of relates almost all of the other fears link up to, if not are founded on the fear of poverty. For as an example, the fear of old age. Why? Because oftentimes we're afraid that we'll experience poverty in our old age or it will lead us to a state of poverty, just as an example. But it is the most destructive and the most difficult to overcome. And what I what really resonated with me is he said the fear of poverty has developed from humans' willingness to prey on each other, especially each other's economic weaknesses. So just let that one kind of sink in for a minute while you're doing that. He describes the symptoms of the fear of poverty to be indifference, indecision, doubt, worry, overcaution, and procrastination. Now, again, I think 99% of you listening out there slash all of us can relate to at least one of these experiences. And I'm going to circle back to worry because that's kind of where he starts. Like the only reason any of this is an obstacle is because it's distracting you from your purpose. And worry is essentially a habit. It is what he would describe as an auto-suggestion, a negative auto-suggestion that creates your reality. This is kind of where we get into the quantum business of it. If you're constantly thinking about something and it's a negative outcome, guess what? You're creating that on some level. Now, I don't say that to shame or victim blame or whatever. It can be really triggering to hear that. I know when you are experiencing something you don't want and you're told you created this, that fucking sucks. The thing is, is worrying, and I've actually talked about this a lot, it is the replacements, this is my opinion now, it is, it is replacing action. There's either something you can do about that situation right now in this moment or not. And if you don't have the capacity to take action to keep that worry from occurring, that falls into the same category and there's nothing you can do in this moment. So there's no point in thinking about it or worrying about it. That is a habit. Now, some people are diagnosably anxious, and he actually gets into one of the fears is the fear of ill health. Think about that label. Think about what that label gives you permission to do. Now, all of us have different brain chemistries. I have been clinically and diagnosably anxious and on medication for it. I am not now. And that is not to say that 
I, I'm, I fully believe in medication. I fully believe in diagnoses. I, if the Western medical system and allopathic medicine has been supportive for you, like amazing. That is fantastic. Just notice where a label might be giving you permission to indulge in some of these fears. It's definitely one of these potential alibis as well, these excuses for your failure. The second fear that Mr. Hill gets into is the fear of criticism. Why does the fear of criticism suck? Because it robs you of your initiative, it destroys your imagination, it limits your individuality, and it removes your self-reliance. Symptoms of the fear of criticism include self-consciousness, lack of poise, personality, an inferiority complex, extravagance, lack of initiative, and lack of ambition. Obviously, those are all crucial to creating the success that you desire being conscious, being poised, having personality, <laughs> not worrying about others and comparing yourself to others and suffering from an inferiority complex. And I, something else I didn't add to the earlier disclaimers is a lot of the languaging in these books is like ye olden times. So um, just bear with that. If I, you know, I think inferi inferiority complex, we would commonly refer to that now as imposter syndrome or actually imposter phenomenon, if you've read Amy Cabby's Presence, which will probably be one of these books. But I digress. So the point being that, you know, there are these six basic fears that will hold you back. And by just simply building awareness around them, you're going to advantage yourself along this path to building the success and the riches that you desire. It's not about fixing yourself. You're not broken. I find these tools for analysis and these frameworks can be very helpful when we're spinning out, when we're feeling impatient, when we're feeling uncertain, when we're feeling like we're going to miss out on what we're meant to have. That's not possible. But the thing is, is we might not be ready yet. And I'm actually building out a, a workshop for a mastermind I've just been asked to lead in terms of this concept of overnight success. There's no such thing. Now, we might perceive someone as having received overnight success. They may, in a very short amount of time, amass astounding amount of wealth or abundance or riches. But believe me, you, my friend, if they are not ready for that, it will explode in their face. Moreover, they may have created that level of success because they were completely ready for it. And by ready, I just mean that they're willing to do or accept things that you are not. <laughs> so in like, how can we make this wheel move faster? Again, shitty fucking analogy. But like, how can we speed things up? How can we time travel? How can we get the desired results right now? Create the space, create the capacity for whatever it is that you're calling in. Looking at these frameworks, listening to these ideas, potentially even going through some of these analyses in, in terms of the questions and the explorations, is you taking action. It is you changing your thoughts and your feelings and your perceptions so that you change your immediate experience and your reality right now. So maybe you're not prepared. Maybe you're not effectively resourced. Anything that keeps showing up in your experience, like you keep complaining about the same thing or your computer keeps crashing or you keep saying, well, if only I had dot, 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 or if I just had the right dot, dot, dot. Those are all signals from the universe in terms of how you're thinking about your current situation. Now, yeah, of course, if we could all pay, you know, 10 people to help us, things would be different. 
But if in this moment you can't, telling yourself, well, I can't get the help that I need is not going to change your situation. Preparing yourself for having 10 people to support you, that will. And again, this isn't about actually creating a whole bunch of extra work and stress for you. It's simply about going, oh, I don't have any processes built out in my business right now. If, I, if 10 people showed up with a million dollars that I could pay them to work for me, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have any workflows. I wouldn't have any processes, like blah, blah, blah. And I don't want to kind of like trigger you with like particular detail or whatever it is. It's just like, why does this stuff help? Why does thinking through the actual like negative parts of our experience or the challenges or obstacles, how does that support us? It gives you something to do. So if you're worrying, if you're wondering why you don't have what you want, these are some tools. These are some frameworks through which to view your current situation. If it resonates with you, fan-fucking-tastic. If it doesn't, don't fucking worry about it. Skip to part two where we just talk about the 13 steps to riches, okay? So we've covered the six basic fears. Now, he spends a lot of time going through what he refers to as organized planning. No plan is a plan to fail or some bullshit saying like that. But I really enjoyed this list of the 10 major causes of the failure in leadership because this is where I end up coaching a lot of people. Again, they're not all 10 of these things. They might just be one. And they're all going to experience one of these failures in their journey as a business owner and as somebody trying to also create the abundance and riches that they dream of. And it doesn't matter what that abundance or those riches look like, feel like, taste like. It's one of these failures that is either currently holding them back, has held them back, or will hold them back. And a lot of this resonated with me as well. By no means am I saying like I read these books and I've now mastered them and they're fantastic. I actually read this book every year. And sometimes I use it. I don't know if you guys have heard people talk about books like this, but almost like an oracle deck where you can just kind of flip to a page and go, okay, what am I experiencing right now? Think and Grow Rich is, is definitely one of those books for me. Again, if I'm worrying, if I'm spinning out, if I'm feeling like I should have dot, 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 or this is too dot, 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 I'm not dot, dot, dot. Opening up to a page in this book always gives me a fun reframe and a different way of tackling the current challenge at hand. Okay, so the 10 major causes of the failure in leadership and a, a disability to organize details. <laughs> that one I can really relate to. I always say there's a certain level of detail that is just below my threshold of fucks to give. Efficient leadership calls for the ability to organize and to master details, according to Mr. Hill. No genuine leaders are too busy to do anything which may be required of them. I love that. I love this idea that technically, as the leader, we could show up and accomplish or attack any of the activities in our business and especially the details. I've worked with some really challenging people who were able to recall any detail. Like the level of detail was astounding. It also kind of was like, how is your brain pulling that one out of the old filing cabinet? But I think like not just the successful leader, but the humble leader as well, just must be aware of the details connected to their position. Second major cause of failure in leadership, an unwillingness to render humble service. This is not dissimilar to the details and all it means, see again, like super yieldy language, <laughs> just means like if you would ask somebody to do something, be willing to do it yourself. If there's heavy lifting to be involved, cleaning to be involved, I remember I got into a massive fight with a very much now ex-boyfriend 
when I was in yoga teacher training and also looking after one of the now biggest bands in the country, he couldn't fucking believe that I was going to a yoga studio every night and cleaning the bathrooms and the showers and the toilets. Now, I was thrilled that I had an opportunity to be working at a yoga studio. And he picked me up one night at like midnight because that's when the, I finished all my cleaning and like lectured me the whole way home, which was a couple of miles. But in L.A., that took four hours about how not only was I belittling myself by cleaning toilets at the yoga studio, I was doing all of these activities for the band that were beneath me. And I'm just so willing to take on the shit work because no one else is going to do it and just like blah, 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 blah. And I let him have his say. And then I said, I don't remember asking for your opinion. And I got out of the car. And I think that was one of the last times we spoke with each other. The point being that I believe, and I think the leader that like a lot of people follow, and in my opinion, is someone who is willing to roll up their sleeves and get the work done. They are, you know, you'll often hear me say in these episodes, I'm standing shoulder to shoulder with you in solidarity. It's not about pedestalizing anybody and it's not about being better than anyone for fuck's sake. Truly great leaders are willing when occasion demands to perform any sort of labor that they would ask another to perform. Number three, an expectation of pay for what they know instead of what they do with that. Again, old way of putting it, but what that means is that being expected to get paid for your title, <laughs> for your last job, and for not necessarily having yet turned those experiences into results, I also hear about this one a lot, where we expect to be paid a certain amount. The reality is, is you will get paid what you deserve when you turn your experience and your wisdom into tangible results. This is also where every single opportunity I've ever gotten, I started by working for free. So when I started coaching clients and I still coach clients unpaid. One, because I fucking love it. Two, because I want to be the change that I desire in this world. But three, I'm still learning. I will always be learning. And oftentimes when I see an amazing situation, I want to be a part of it. That doesn't mean I deserve to be a part of it. So I will earn my place in that situation. And this doesn't, I mean, maybe it comes from lack. I don't know. Maybe there's some scarcity in that. Maybe there's some self-doubt. But I tell you what, when we sit down to negotiate the price moving forward, I demand the terms <laughs> as opposed to ask for my pittance. So, you know, food for thought. Number four is fear of competition from the followers. So what this translates into is a leader who fears that by teaching people what they know, by training people to understand what they understand and by delegating any of the details of their job that it could get taken away from them. That is something I have witnessed so much. You'd be really surprised. So this isn't just about competition of like other businesses or other people in your peer group. This is actually in terms of hiring and resourcing underneath you. And I don't mean that underneath in terms of like you're higher, they're lower. I just literally mean in terms of hierarchical energy and delegation. You will train people to offload some of the work on your plate. And a lot of leaders are actually afraid that in doing so, they will work themselves out of a job. Number five, lack of imagination. I think this one kind of speaks for itself. But this is also in terms of demonstrating your capability of coming up with plans 
that are not just efficient, but spontaneous, i.e. like when something fucking gnarly goes down, sometimes leaders can get married to the plan at hand and ignore what's happening around them. So that lack of imagination obviously will really hold you back. Number six, selfishness. Again, speaks for itself. A really great leader claims none of the honors his team deserves. And again, this is one that I see a lot where someone wants to take all of the credit. I actually see this a lot in terms of energy and healing workers as well. Just watch when someone acts as if they're the reason for the results. If they, as the individual administering the work or the teaching or even the healing, is the one actually facilitating the change. That's that's a little bit of my own opinion there, but and watch yourself when you're taking credit for something that may or may not be yours. An intemperate leader, another old school term. Intemperate kind of just means like you're pottying too hot. <laughs> Temperance in this context specifically refers to drugs and alcohol. And this was written in a time when cocaine was legal, y'all. But this is also the leader, you know, and I'm sure you've worked with this person before and you might even be tempted to be this person, but where you're taking massive holidays, you're not around, you're hard to get in touch with, you are constantly delegating all of the work and then taking all of the credit for it. It's kind of that absent leader where distraction and temptation is, is like not just part of your experience, but like most of your experience. Like that's your whole social media feed. One of my clients is hiring for a, a multiple six-figure job role in his company. And he found the perfect candidate. And then he got on that candidate social media. And unfortunately, that ch candidate male presenting had a lot of what my client described as to be chauvinistic imagery on his social media and didn't hire them. I thought that was really interesting. Obviously, everybody that I work with is going to be very value oriented. But I think just a really in terms of temperance or being intemperate as a leader, that would also mean very much leading in alignment with your values. Disloyalty, again, self-explanatory. And Mr. Hill actually says this should probably come at the head of the list as a leader who is not loyal and cannot be trusted by his associates, both above him and below him, cannot long maintain their leadership. Number nine an emphasis of the authority of leadership. So this is somebody who is constantly throwing in your face like they're the boss, they're in charge, this is their business, they should know better, so on and so forth. I mean, I don't need to get into that one. That's a pretty obnoxious behavior. And then, I mean, this emphasis of the authority and the number 10 is emphasis of title. The competent leader requires no title to get the respect of their followers. And the man who makes too much over their title generally has little to emphasize. <laughs> I think that sums it up beautifully. We can relate to one of these causes at any point in our career, and we can probably relate to a few in this moment. And again, it's not like you're doing it wrong, you're fucking up, you're going to fail. It's just about creating awareness around some of these elements that might be coming into play and going, oh, shit emphasis of authority. I might be just leading with my degrees and my accolades and my bio, and I'm not talking at all about the people that I'm serving. I'm not showing people why the product I'm creating is phenomenal. I'm not using social proof or testimonials to demonstrate. All I'm actually doing is talking about me and talking about my past. <laughs> 
okay, interesting. I wonder why. I wonder why I need to defend that or show that off or why that's important to me. Maybe that's a value. Okay. Again, this isn't about being critical. It's simply about being curious and exploring. If one of these 10 major causes is comes up for you, look into it. No judgment. Okay. I love you. Lastly, the 30 causes of failure. And I'm not, I'm not going to read out all 30 because that's a lot. But think of them in terms of like lack of self-discipline, insufficient education, one or more of the basic six fears, uncontrolled desires, expecting something for nothing, intolerance, intemperance, lack of enthusiasm. I mean, there are 30. <laughs> 30 causes of failure in general. The 10 before were the actual failures in leadership. But again, it's just about kind of going, oh, yeah, yep, that one's showing up right now. Interesting. Okay. Now, why would we even want to spend 40 minutes talking about the obstacles to success? Again, if you're feeling impatient, if you're feeling uncertain, if you have a lot of fear around your success, if you don't trust, I mean, when I say you cannot miss what you were meant to have, do you believe that? Some people do. Some people 100% know everything they desire is coming. And they got their feet kicked up on their desk. They got their head resting in their hands and they be cold chilling. And the worst part is, is they're right. <laughs> like, you know, those people in your experience or the people that you perceive on social media, that it just seems like everything comes easily to them. They expect it to. That is their experience. And here's the thing about looking at their world through that lens. They don't see the hardships or the challenges or the obstacles in the same way that you do because they just expect things to come easily. That's just part of their journey. So what can we do? We can look at these frameworks. We can look at these 10 major causes of failure in leadership or the 30 causes of failure or these six basic fears and ask ourselves, is this part of my experience? We can go through the annual self-analysis or the fear-based analysis that Mr. Hill has provided in this book, and they are both in the resource, and just simply say, okay, I feel like shit right now. I wonder why. I'm going to ask, I, I don't have the ability to get into my work or do execute on the strategy and plans that I have or even fucking get out of bed today or whatever it is. And instead of just worrying incessantly about your experience, take some action. Think about things a little bit differently. That's enough action. Choose a different feeling. Try one question. When we go through the fear, the lack, the mistrust, we are asking ourselves that most powerful question that I repeat over and over again. What if I could give myself exactly what I need in this moment without judgment? That immediately shifts our experience. We are already stepping towards the success and the abundance that we desire to create rather than staying in this holding pattern, like in this really uncomfortable, shitty, painful holding pattern at that, that like actually just attracts more of that. <laughs> this is how we hold ourselves. This is honoring the fact that even as leaders, even as some of the most successful people that we know, we also need to take a break and to pause and to reset and to reflect and to reboot. It is only once we address our lack, our fear, our mistrust that we can fill up our cup so that we can fill others. We can overflow to be in service. 
to be creative, to be inspired, to be compelling leaders. And even if you don't have anyone else you're leading, you are in charge of the very most important resource, yourself. When we can surrender to who we are, not who we should be, not what we wish to be, not the leader we're becoming, we transform in that moment. We don't say, oh, we're weak and we're never going to get it because we are these things. We just go, oh, okay. I am being overcautious because of some past lessons and pains and hurts. Interesting. Maybe in my overcaution, that's where some of this hesitation, that's where some of this stuckness is showing up. How might I give myself exactly what I need in this moment without judgment? How might I resource myself more effectively? How might I reflect back on some of those experiences that are leading me to feel like overcaution is an effective strategy right now? We work through our fears, our lack, our mistrust to become the leader we desire to be. That is the work you came here to do. This is the profound experience you seek. <laughs> this is how we create the limitless opportunity, the abundance, the happiness, the contentment, the satisfaction, the fame, the influence, the money, whatever it is you're seeking by simply understanding where are we right now and what, what do I need to address for myself, okay? Whoo, even I'm feeling heavy after that. It's always, it's so, I mean, if you've worked with me, you know, I talk about this energy is like the level one, level two, the victim and then the bully. Those are very, it's more like I lose, you lose this idea that there's a binary, that there's a, a one or the other, a right or wrong, a better or worse. It's just not true. Our logical mind knows there's infinite possibility. So when we find ourselves stuck in this, like, fuck me, fuck you place, the 30 causes of failure, a basic fear that we're experiencing. It's just like, oh, okay. By just simply giving that attention in a manner that is not feeding it. Like I, um, of course, I experienced the fear of poverty. I grew up in poverty. I watched my parents get divorced over not being able to pay the bills and not having enough resources. And my whole people and culture come from a place, you know, blah, 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 everything. And I don't mean blah, 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 blah to like minimize your experience. I mean, blah, 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 in the sense like, like what I'm feeling right now, what you're probably feeling right now is like just talking about this shit is heavy takes up a huge amount of bandwidth. It is magnetic in the same way that any of our thoughts and feelings and experiences are. What we are thinking about is what we are attracting. And you can't like fake it away. Another thing that so many people do that I talk to when I suggest, well, what is it that you're afraid of? What, where does this fear of poverty come from? They're like, oh, I'm not afraid of that. I am very much focused on my desired abundance and the desired riches that I'm calling in. And I'm writing out the statements every night. But if somewhere in the back of your mind, this is all coming from the fact that you're afraid that you're going to be a poor old person who is alone in their home with no one to take care of them. Like, that reality exists on some timeline in your consciousness. And if you don't indulge in that so that you can play it through and therefore release that energy and that experience, it ain't going anywhere. And yes, you'll hear people talk about that being like bypassing or whatever. In business, like this is quite literally strategizing. And we, this is what in, in business we call risk mitigation. Well, I'm afraid I've just invested all of my savings in my business and I'm going to fail. Okay. 
Yeah, because that is a possibility. Now, just saying that doesn't create the possibility. Ignoring it sure as shit could. So how can we mitigate that risk? I am going to be overcautious now in my spending because I don't have anything to spend. Okay, that's now let's shine some awareness on that, right? I'm giving myself a time limit. It's not I'm being overcautious. It's that until I hit a certain threshold, I'm not going to be spending business extras. It's a very different that. I mean, I can feel that difference in my physical body when I talk about it like that. So I share that just because if you're feeling a little bit heavy, shake it out. Deep breaths. Go look at a puppy. (laughs) Get on some uplifting social media accounts. Listen to another podcast with somebody who is delightful and funny. Listen to one of my other episodes, (laughs) which... You know, I always try and end on a, well, I don't know that I always try and end on a high note. I'd like to end on a high note. I'd like for you to keep listening. If this episode intrigued you, there is a very robust resource, all for free, of course. The link is in the show notes. It might be on my website. I'm probably going to share this because it ended up being like a much bigger thing than I expected, hence the two-part episode. But I'm going to go do some exercise, and then I'm going to record part two, and I am so excited to step out the 13 steps to riches, according to Napoleon Hill in his book, Think and Grow Rich. I also, the link to that book at a local independent bookstore near you is available in the show notes. That's probably going to be it in terms of resources. And thank you so much for listening. This investment, taking this time to really dig into foundational tomes, as it were, really just speaks to your own desire to create the success and the riches in whatever capacity you so desire. So it's all happening. You're creating all of it. If there's any books that you'd like me to share in the Quantum Business Book Club, let me know. Email hello at NicoleBZ.com. If you want me to start making these live, which I would fucking love, and we can just host little monthly Zooms, email me. I'll put you on a wait list. And I will be really fucking excited to do that because I really wanted this book club to be, like I said, in a tangible reality as opposed to uh, digital reality. But here we are. This is some kind of a metaverse, I'm sure. Find me on socials at the BZ channel and, you know, like, share, review, all of the things. And I can't wait for part two. 